Well, if you have your Bibles today, I'm speaking from Philippians chapter 3 on living a life that counts, living a life of significance. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, I don't mean to say in verse 13, or verse 12, says, I don't, Paul writing, I don't mean to say I've already achieved these things, for I have all, or that I've already reached perfection. That's a pretty profound statement, isn't it? But I keep working towards that day when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus has saved me and for he wants me to be. No, dear brothers and sisters, I'm still not all that I should be. But I'm focusing all of my energies on this one thing. Forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I strain to the end of the race to receive the prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us up to heaven. Amen. Well, living a life that really counts, I'm sure that's a desire in all of our hearts, because when we're born again and we have the Spirit of Christ within us, He changes us from the inside out. It's no longer rules and regulations. It's desire and passion. And He puts within each of us a desire to make our life count for Him. Amen? Now, if there's anyone next to Jesus that really made His life count, it was the Apostle Paul. I want you to consider some of his accomplishments. Well, his life began, of course, on the road to Damascus, where, think of this, Jesus Himself came down from the right hand of the Father and he confronted Saul of Tarsus. We read of that in the book of Acts, chapter 9. And I want to say how important the book of Acts is. It serves as a vital link between the Gospels and the epistles. It records the first 30 years of the early church, what they did after Jesus left, but one of the most important things is the salvation of Saul of Tarsus. Because if we didn't have that, we would question everything written from there on in. Who's Paul? Who made him an apostle? He wasn't around when Jesus was here. He wasn't one of the twelve. Have you ever thought of that? But Jesus himself came down and confronted him, and his life was forever changed. In fact, at the end of the book of Acts, he says, before King Agrippa, and I have not been unfaithful to that heavenly vision. His life forever changed. And that's all right. His life forever changed. And he wrote the major part of the New Testament. Aren't you thankful for that? You know, and, and it inspires faith. But single-handedly, he went throughout the Roman Empire, the entire Roman Empire, opening up new works, new churches, confronting people with the gospel, bringing them to faith in Christ. And he lived a meaningful life. He lived a fulfilling life. He lived a life that really counted, not only for time, but for eternity. But I want to remind you as well, it wasn't easy sailing for him. If you look into the gospel here, and I, I just write down here, look back into 2 Corinthians. Uh, it says in chapter 2, 
that the sentence of death was written over us. We feared for our very lives. He faced persecution. He faced opposition from all the Jewish brethren because they thought he was a heretic, that he was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. But it was a mystery hidden from the ages of time revealed unto Paul. Behold, I show you a mystery. And, and it's preaching the gospel not to the Jews first, but to the Gentiles also. Aren't you thankful for that? Or we'd be lost. We've been grafted in. But it was because of his perseverance. It was because of his passion to please Christ and to make his life count. He pressed on. Listen, he says here in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8, We are hard-pressed on every side. We are crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. I mean, if you just stop and think of those words. Persecuted but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body. And then he goes on in chapter 11 to say, or to chapter 10 to say this. He said, and I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in deep waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city and in the wilderness, and in the sea, and among false brethren, in weariness, toil, sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings and often in cold and nakedness. And besides all of these things, my deep concern for the church, the churches of Jesus Christ. Things were anything but easy for Paul. And yet look at what he accomplished. So it raises the question, how did he do it? What made him tick? And more importantly, what can we learn from his life? And how can we make our lives count? Because these things are written for our encouragement. These things are written to cause us to be inspired to rise up and make our lives count. And Philippians 3. Philippians is an amazing book. I mean, I always remember... One, one uh, board member back in Hamilton days, he said, you know, the best part of the Bible is the part you're in right now. But if you look at the book of Philippians, it's an amazing book. Four, four chapters, but the setting is adversity and suffering. But the theme is rejoicing. Can you believe that? 16 times. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you didn't get it, Again, I say rejoice. How could Paul, now after 30 years of proven ministry, on death row, waiting for his execution, be so positive? In the opening chapter, he says, I want you to understand, brethren, all these things that have fallen unto me have been for the furtherance of the gospel. He made the most of every moment. Because he was in chains and guys had to come in, guards had to come in and, and 
take an eight-hour shift, 24 hours, chained to Paul. And while he was there, he said, I want you to understand, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. <laughs> I'm here on the appointment of Christ. Do you see your, your armor there? That's the helmet of salvation, the shield and the sword of the... He just went on. Those guys couldn't get away, and he preached till they got saved. Hallelujah. And he said, I want you to understand that even the palace guard has come to faith in Christ. Now, Paul's desire... Here, aren't you thankful God put him in jail so we have the New Testament? Slow him down a bit because he couldn't travel, so he began to write under the inspiration of God. But his vision was to reach the whole world. But think of it. God positioned him in prison. The palace guard, that's Caesar's right-hand men, the top echelon of his army, wearing, looking after him. And these officers of the palace guard ultimately would become governors over different provinces of the Roman Empire. What better way to reach all of the world than to preach to future leaders and lead them to Christ. Hallelujah. So he really made his life count. And now he's on death row. From all accounts, we could look at this and say, wow, is that what you get for living for Christ? Scars beat up, ran out of town. He was left stoned for dead. He went up into heaven. God said, not yet, and came back. Is that what you get? Now you're on death row waiting to be beheaded. He said, no, for to me to live is Christ. And, it, and to die, gain. I'm a winner. It's a win-win. So he, he continually kept pressing on and now he knows his days are limited and he's looking back down the corridors of time and he's thinking of the church at philippi remember how that began with the jailbreak you know the earthquake they're put in prison and the jailer gets saved and his family and all the prisoners become founding members of the church of philippi hallelujah <laughs> and they're thinking paul you're in prison at rome we know what he did for you here. We're praying he'll do it again. And he just said, I want you to know my time of departure is at hand. And as he pens out these words, these are valuable words for every one of us. He said, but brethren, I want you to realize, now this is an amazing statement. Here he is after 30 years of proven ministry. He says, I don't have it all together. I still have imperfections. But there's one thing I do. Say, one thing. Come on. There's one thing I do. He said, forgetting the past and reaching for what's ahead, I press towards the prize of the high calling of God. Wow. What can we learn from him? Why did God have that recorded? To strengthen our faith, to encourage us here today. And he says, learn to forget the past. Everyone here today, we've all blown it. No surprise to God. 
We're far from perfect. Even Paul said, I haven't arrived. Didn't question his salvation. He's just talking about his humanity, his imperfections, his weaknesses. And every one of us have weaknesses. Every one of us is imperfect. But he says, this is what you've got to learn. If you want to make your life count, you've got to let go of the past. To forget the past means don't let the past manipulate and hold you prisoner right now. You have to let it go. Because what, no matter how many tears you shed, no matter how prayers you pray, the past is past. You can't go back and change it. I'm sure he had regrets. When he was called, he could have sat down on the Damascus Road and say, I really know I'm saved. I met Jesus today. I'm not worthy. I'm responsible for Stephen's death. I'm responsible for many families that I broke up under persecution, tortured them. He could sit there and wallow, but he chose not to. He said, brothers and sisters, one thing I've learned, this one thing you need to remember, let go of the past. Give it over to God. And when God forgives us, he chooses to remember it against us no more. Micah 7.19 says, God will cast all our faults and failures into the sea of forgetfulness. He puts a sign up, no fishing, you know. But, it, and, but he, he chooses to remember it against us no more. Isaiah 43 says that, that he removes our transgressions and failures from us forever to remember it against us no more. Psalm 103, it says, And as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our failures from us. Isn't that amazing? Did you ever think if we leave Arthur and we start heading east and we get as far as Newfoundland and then you keep heading east and you hit England and you head east and you, you hit France and you keep going and you get over to Siberia and you keep heading east and you come up over British Columbia, and you keep heading east, and you hit Winnipeg. But if you start heading west, you get to Manitoba, then you get to Alberta, and you get to BC, and you're heading west, and you keep heading west, and you eventually end up over in China. See, because the west and the east never meet. And God says, that's what I've done with your failures. So what do we need to forget? We need to forget our failures. We need to refuse to let the past hold us prisoner. We need to realize today is God's gift to us. And what we do with this day is our gift to him. You can only spend this day once. So spend it wisely. The greatest commodity of life is not materialism and finances, time. We all have 24 hours. What we do with that time, do we waste it or do we choose to invest it? Paul said, I, I chose to invest it. I let go of my past. And it's amazing. Wherever you go, you'll find somebody related to you, you know. Oh, well, I know, I know, you know, and we met some more people last week, right? Like, I don't even know, Dummerink, is it, or I forget, you know. But anyway, and all these names and pay, you know, and think, oh, I didn't know that, but we're related. Not me, but I mean, Doris, you know, 
and you know, but we are brothers and sisters. There we are. <laughs> but wherever you go, you'll find somebody that knows somebody. Do you find that? Well, think of Paul. Wherever he went, not everybody was happy to see him. This is the guy that killed my grandpa. This is the one that tortured my dad, my uncle, my mother, under the persecution. But he had to let it go. So we have to just come to the place where we commit our past to him. And God chooses to forgive and to forget. We too need to forgive ourselves and forget and move on. So to make our life count, forget your past failures because that'll drag you down and make you feel crippled and inadequate. We also need to forget something else, our successes. And why do I say that? Our failures would hold us down in defeat. But if we start coasting along thinking, oh, I'm doing okay. Boy, we, we did great over there. We did this, we did that. And the moment you begin to celebrate your successes, you stop being on the stretch for God. And you'll find out that, that you'll begin to coast. And you know how you coast? You're going downhill. That's when you coast. But I'm pressing on the upward way. So let go of your successes. It'll make you complacent, indifferent, lukewarm, ineffective. Let go of your failures because you can't drive a car looking in the rearview mirror. You've got to look ahead. And that's what he says. Let go of the past and lay hold of the future. Focus on the future. This one thing I do, forgetting what's behind me, I look forward to what's ahead. Hallelujah. And so we need to be focused. We need to be in the present and, and doing our best and looking forward and doing everything we can. So if we do that, we'll become effective for him. I don't know about you, but light, when it's diffused, it, it's not too powerful. But they've, they've realized if you can focus light, it becomes even a razor, laser beam, and it can eat up cancer and all of those tumors. I remember as a kid, I don't know how many of you remember, but I used, we used to get magnifying glasses, and then we'd, we'd sit there and we'd get the sun, we'd be able to burn our name into the wood, and in school I could burn Shirley Arthur's hair. <laughs> yeah. And because when you get focused and that light gets focused, you know, you can kind of give a little burn. And that's what Paul's saying. We need to become focused. We need to really be one mind, one goal. Say, focus on this one thing. And what's the most important thing? Pleasing God. When all said and done, he said, I'm in a race. And you have to realize we can't do everything. We don't know everything. And we can't be everything. But we can be who God has gifted us to be. 
And he has placed giftings in each one of us. You are unique. You're not just one, you know, you're one in 700 billion, whatever, you know. They're finding more out there anyway. But, you know, so I don't know how they measure 300 billion years. But anyway, uh, so I'm telling you, you are unique. There's only one of you. And God has placed giftings in you, different from one another. So what is that one thing? Well, check back and say, what are you passionate about? What really captivates your interest? Now, I dare say, Terry, he's, he's a good accountant. One of the best, if not the best, treasurers I've ever had. Because he knows all the details. He just, you know, I have ballpark memory, you know. But, but he's, he's laser beam, you know. And, you know, so, so we all have different giftings. And we need each other. Listen to this. I want to, just comes to mind, Romans where is it? Chapter 12. Yes. Okay. Listen to this. This is what God says about us. God has given to each of us the ability to do all things well. No. Certain things well. So you can't do everything. But you can do one thing. So he's given some the ability to proclaim the word, to prophesy. And whenever you can, and as often as your faith is strong enough to receive a message from God. And if your gift is that of serving others, there's where the deacons come in. Serving one another. When you serve others, you're serving God. Do it as unto the Lord. And then serve them well. And if you're a teacher, there you go. Teach well, you know. And, and use your gift to, to invest in people's lives. If you're a teacher, teach well. And if you're a preacher, well, make sure your sermons are encouraging. I hope they are. <laughs> anyway, if God's given you money and blessed you to be generous in helping others with it. If he's given you administrative ability and put you in charge of the work of others, take that responsibility seriously. And for those that are sorrowing, offer comfort and do it with Christian love. All I'm saying out of that is, we can't be everything, do everything, know everything. But there's one thing he's put within us. And whatever that gift is, look back and say, what has brought fulfillment in your life? When you accomplish something, what brought fulfillment in your life? What are you passionate about? What has caused you to be fulfilled? Whatever that gifting is, that's put there by the Spirit of God. He's placed us in the body as it pleases Him. And so be faithful in the gifting that He's given you. He doesn't expect you to be something you're not. But one day, we'll give an account. So He says, forget the past, failures, successes, and Focus on the future. Determine what really matters, what really is important. And then he says, and I press towards the prize of the high calling. And that means seize the moment. Live the life. 
press in. That word press means overextend yourself. Use every ounce of strength in your muscle, in, in your every ounce of energy that you have. I focus all of my energies on this one thing, to reach forth to the prize of the high calling. Do you realize that we're in a race? The race of life. And one day when we come across that finishing line, Paul said, I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And that can only happen as we forget and let go of the past, as we lay hold of the future, and we give it all we got, press in, and make it really count for him. Paul did. In fact, the very last words that he ever penned is in 2 Timothy, to Timothy, the son of faith. This was his testimony. I have fought the good fight. I have won the race. And I have kept the faith. And down through the quarters of time, Jesus, through the apostle Paul, says to us, fight the good fight of faith. Keep the faith. Run the race to win. Because our one goal should be to please him. And when we come across the finishing line, we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We won't be judged for our salvation, but we'll be judged for the quality of life we have lived. If you live for me, myself, and I, that'll go up as hay wooden stubble. But if you've been led and motivated by the Spirit of God and use your gifting not to be seen of man, but to bring glory unto God, your labor won't be in vain. And it'll come forth as pure gold and it will go on forever. So let's press in, church. Let's learn from the Apostle Paul. Let go of the past. So just shake your hand. Come on. Go like this. We're shaking it off. Come on. Shaking off all of the defeat and failure. We're, we're putting it under the blood. And we're going to face the future. We're not going to look back. We're going to look up. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And live for the audience of one. And press in. And give it all you got.